so thankful. Her name is Ruth Miller, and you should meet Ruth. She is just absolutely amazing. I call her mom, and uh, she is absolutely amazing. She's led worship at St. Mark United Methodist Church for 39 or 40 years, one of those two. So, and it's she started when she was four years old. I'm kidding. But, um, but my mother-in-law has been leading worship at St. Mark United Methodist and, and kind of right on the line of Vestavia Hills in Hoover, Alabama. Um, I don't know which side of the line, which you stand on one side of the church and one stand on the other, but um, leading worship there for many, many years. And uh, I am just blessed to have an incredible mother-in-law, and I love her, and I'm glad she you know, like forgives her son-in-law for bringing the kids away. I'm saying this publicly, so you have to do that. So um, I want you to come by and say hello to her after church. She'll be hanging around up here. And uh, it's been an incredible week in the life of our church. And incredible is a powerful word because incredible means a lot of things. Um, incredible as in yesterday, uh, Jimily Villanueva and Justin Keaton got married. That's a great day. I asked, uh, I asked Jim Lee, um, Sunday, Justin was standing there, I said, I can't wait for you guys to be in worship next week to tell us about it. And Jim Lee was like dumbfounded, we're not going to be there. I said, why not? Come on. I says, and so, uh, they celebrated marriage. I can't, I can't wait to just see what God does in a young couple like that as he just works through their lives. Um, two who are just intensely passionate about Christ. We've also had, uh, incredibly challenging times in the life of our church this week. I haven't, seen anyone from Jerry Palmer's family. Are you guys here this morning? Um, we had the, the real privilege uh, to share uh, time and celebrate what she's meant in the life of this church. And uh, to, to um, I don't think we laid her to rest. I think we bequeathed her to heaven and just uh, celebrated what the word of Christ had done in her life and just to hear her children and to hear our former pastor um, speak with such great friendship and joy of their life together, to hear Colonel Dan speak of that was absolutely amazing. And then, Carol, um, what songs this morning? I look back at you as we were singing of 10,000 blessings and and the fact that we're singing right now and 10,000 years from now we'll be singing of the goodness of God. And I had the chance to, to stand with Carol Carter beside her husband's bed as as we said goodbye to Ed and just a couple of nights ago, and we will celebrate that homecoming tomorrow here at 11. What what an incredible privilege. We have two rows of people who love him. We're so glad you guys are here. I think I've caught from Texas, so welcome. The Carolinas are represented, which is God's country, so we're glad you guys are here. I, I would love... Oh, we're getting the stakes now. Georgia, Kentucky, Texas... And Florida. And she said she wants to stand up. So we should tell you guys. We're so glad you guys are here. So you're standing. <laughs> so it's just been one of those weeks. And this is maybe this last story of what's happened inside the life of our church is why we can sit in moments like this and say we've had great mourning. We had great celebration. I mean, all of these are weddings. Some of the eternal wedding with the King of Glory and some of them were temporal weddings with Justin and Jim Lee, all weddings for us, a hope we have in Christ. And then there was this wedding that happened here on our campus Wednesday night. It's the reason that we study the book of Colossians. It's the reason that we gather here is that a, a man called our church and said, look, I work all through the weekends. I work for Pepsi. I would love to find a church. I live in Bartram. I've heard about you guys. I have no idea how. I didn't ask that, David. All I know is that Wednesday night he pops into our journey class he hears the gospel presented with absolute clarity. After the class, Monty Poole is so disturbing to me because I'm sitting in a meeting and he comes in. I look like, Monty, I can't leave, dude. 
He says, you've got to come with me. And Monty can be persuasive. And so I walk with Monty down the hallway to shake hands with a man who has just said yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And so salvation sprang into our church on Wednesday night. And it was just beautiful. And I, and I love conversations like David had with me to say, look, I want to, I want to know how to get in touch with him because it's not enough to stand outside of the elevators. That's kind of symbolic, right? Up and down. Um, so it's, it's not enough to stand outside of the elevators and say yes to Jesus. That's not what we're about. We're about making disciples and watching people grow in Christ. And I said, David, look, I've got all the contact. We, we can't wait to share life with him and Christ with him and hope with him and what that means for us. And so, and we're here and we're just celebrating the reality of Christ and we're fully expecting that salvation will spring up at all times because of God's grace, because of his mercy among us, because of his goodness among us, because we're a people who are deeply passionate about him. And so I want to, I want to just maybe expound or think about for a couple of minutes, the book of Colossians, the first 14 verses, and, and if you've not been here, this is a great one for you because we're just going to say three or four highlights. And, and then this is the thing I love about Scripture is that the Word of God can dwell among you and in your heart richly as you just begin to read it yourself. And, and here's the challenge we have as a church, that we are reading the book of Colossians as a whole, as a letter. Because this is not what it's intended to do, to walk in on a Sunday morning with a crowd and to say, we're going to look at two or three verses today and then we'll not think about it again. It's really intended as a letter. And so we've just challenged us together to read it as a letter once a week. So if you haven't been on that, do that. I can just tell you that your Bible app, if you like the uh, version, can do it in a um, South African voice. Because, I mean, it's crazy. You can. I've, I've recently joined the Y. They, they do a full body scan on you and stuff. You know, they know your, they know your identity in there. They know who you are. They, they have this active thing that tells you your body fat. I mean, they, they're telling you how to acclimate and they actually tell you the plans that they have for you, says the why, to prosper you and to thin you. I mean, they've got all this going on and I'm thinking to myself again, if they're going to go to that links, we should actually look at people and say, in the midst of this fellowship, God has a, a vision for you. He has a plan for you. He has intentions for what he's doing in your life. We think it's a purpose for you and it's for his glory. And we want you to understand how God has wired you and what he's doing here and thus discover Mandarin. And, and since all of you won't be in that class, although you're invited and welcomed, it's going to be on Sunday mornings at 9. I think May the 18th is the first one, if that's a Sunday. Read it off the top of my head. And so this is a story I always tell. And I think it's a story that fits Colossians. And I think it's a story that that should fit us. I have an author that I like to read. I won't tell you his name because you may love him. Um, I like about 50% of what he has to say. I disagree with about 25% of what he has to say. And the other 25 at least makes me think. And I like to read people like that because they stretch me and challenge me. And this author wrote one of his books. He told a story. And I, and I share this story because I want you to understand that I think this is what God wants to do in his church. And I'm not saying in Mandarin, Baptist. I'm saying I believe this is what church looks like based on this story. This is one of those 50 percenters. I fully agree with this. I think this is a picture of the body of Christ. He said he, um, he said he had, and he tells a story in the book, and I don't remember the book title. If you know me, I'm terrible at book titles. But he tells in the, in the, in the book, he says, look, I flew over to Hawaii to be able to speak to a group of people for a little while about this great wonder of God. And I was there for a conference and my body clock was completely off. 
He said, so I'm laying in bed about midnight one night, and I'm just not even sleepy at all, and I don't know what to do with myself. So he said, I just kind of got up and went over to one of the local diners. By the time I got there, it's about one in the morning, and he said, I'm sitting there eating, and I realized that eating beside me are two prostitutes who work in Hawaii. And he said, so I'm, I'm just kind of going, this is weird and awkward, but he said, listen to their conversation, listen to what they were talking about. One of them's name was Agnes. Agnes began to have this dialogue, and Agnes said um, some powerful things. She said, um, first, she said, my birthday is tomorrow. And so he just kind of heard that and heard the whole story and they kind of went on back into the night and he finished up his meal. And as he's wrapping up the meal, he looks at the owner of the diner and he says something like this. He says, would it bother you if, if I threw a party for Agnes tomorrow night about this same time? And he said, it wouldn't bother me at all. And she comes here every night about this time to close out her night. And he said, so, so he said, I, I went and did my conference the next day about... You know, went and shopping, and I don't know if there's Walmarts. I have no idea what store. You know, there's got to be a Walmart in Hawaii, right? They're everywhere. And so, and so he went over, and, and he's shopping in Hawaii, and, and he gets all the things he needs for the party. It's this great cake, and he said he rolled in, and somehow the word had had scattered throughout all of the women similar to Agnes. And he said he walked in with his cake and with some balloons, and the place was wall to wall with with women of the night. And he said I was sitting in there, I set the cake down, I put the balloons out. The businessman was very savvy about how he would handle this. He said, as long as, long as, um, you know, we can be about the cake and cook for the people, you can throw any party you want in here. So the guy was like, as long as I can make money, you throw a party. And he was, he was making money that night. And so Tony is standing in the middle of this looking around and he actually converses with God a little bit and says, is this okay? I mean, are you okay with this? And the Lord says, I am absolutely great with this. You throw your party. And so he did. He did. He said that um, they were all just kind of waiting. And Agnes walked in the door and everybody broke out in happy birthday. And they're just singing to her. And she burst in tears. And here comes this guy named Tony. He's got, he's, you know, he's bald-headed dude. He's carrying this thing covered in, 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 in um, candles. That's the word. And so he just comes walking around the corner. And she is crying her eyes out. And she looks at the cake, she blows out the candles, picks up the cake out of his hands and says, no one has ever done this for me before. And she says, I've got to go tell my kids. How's that for a little curveball? And so she walks out with her cake into the middle of the night. Tony's standing there going, so what do you do in the moment when the guest of honor walks out? You know, what are you supposed to do in this moment? I have no idea. He said, so I'm a preacher. I do what preachers do. I just kind of said, can, can we pray? You know, it's, so he did. He prayed that God would just give her a glimpse of his grace, a glimpse of his love for her, that he would use that moment to just display the wonder of who he is to her, that she would understand who she is meant to be. And he ended with amen. And, you know, everybody didn't. It wasn't a Billy Graham moment where thousands came down the aisle. That's not that's not the great bow on the end of this story. It's just he said amen, and he just kind of went on. And, and they went, and she came back. Everybody shared cake. It was great. But the, the conversation he had with the owner of the restaurant was profound. The owner said, you didn't tell me you're a preacher type. He said, I, I, I try not to tell a lot of people that. And he said, you didn't tell me this at all. And he said, so what kind of church do you go to anyway that would cause this ruckus? And you ever have those moments when you say just the right thing at just the right moment? I rarely have moments like that. Do you have those? I mean, here's my typical moment is two days later, I kind of come up and say, that would have been perfect. And I'm calling them. It's not the same power, you know, 
doesn't have the same effect. Tony writes in his book, he said, look, and this moment is one of those God moments when I said just the right thing and just the right moment. And it was so from God. And I was so thankful for him because he said, what church do you go to anyway? And Tony said, Tony said, I attend a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 2 a.m. And I love the owner's response. He said, you don't. Because if that's what church was like, I would be in church. It's not what it's like. It's full with piety and holiness and traditions and people that would never welcome me. And, and I just wonder, I wonder as we sit and talk out of Colossians, the first chapter, and we talk about having the inheritance of the saints and we talk and we all sit in this room. We all sit in this room and we love to talk about redemption. The reality of God purchasing us back. And we love to celebrate forgiveness. And the thing that happens though that I notice that happen, is happening in the church at Colossae because Paul is having to stand in the middle of them and speak truth. That happens to us. The longer we're a Christ follower, we forget the forgiveness of sins. And we forget the redemption work that God did. And we forget that while we were in the middle of our sin, Christ came and died for us. And he rescued us out of our sin and seated us in the middle of the king of glory. And because of that, we simply are a church that are willingly and gladly filled with grace. And we throw parties for all walks of life, in all manners of life, for all kinds of people. Because at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is grace, there is hope, there is inheritance, there is endurance, there is patience. And all in all, there is love. And I, I'm just, I'm just asking, I'm just asking, I'm asking as you hear that story, and you kind of repel back and go, I like that, but I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't even want to be near that party. Because here's what I find about Jesus the more I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's really where he was. And it really got him in trouble with church people all the time. And we ask wrong questions all the time as a church. Do I like this? Does it fit me? Or this what we've done before? I'll be honest, I've heard at least a dozen wrong questions just this morning. We're so good at it as a church. All the while, the Lord is sitting in the middle of us saying, I came on a great and glorious rescue mission. I came while you were in the middle of your sin to cover your sin and your shame and to give you the righteousness of God so that you could join me, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, and we just participated in as our Bible study class, you could now join me in stepping into the hardest places, the most hurting places, the most painful places, and you join my great rescue mission as a minister of reconciliation. So, wow. What will we be about as a church to stop and say, holy God. See, I, I want to tell that story at every new members class and it be true. I'm going to tell that story because there are tremendous, um, I don't remember Rick Wheeler's number, which actually I saw at San Jose Baptist last night. I think it was like 652,000 some odd numbered people. There's a bracelet that San Jose's wearing. That you, thank you, Jeff Litton. That's why you have Jeff in the room. And I don't know what he said, but it was a lot. You want to throw it at me one more time? Yeah, there are 671,543 people in our city 
who have no relationship with Jesus Christ according to their own confession. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, as, as, we, as we just do church, what we're going to look like. There's about three or four statements that we've made, and that's where I want to come to, and I probably have taken most of my time here. And we'll talk anyway, just for a couple of minutes. I just, um, I love Paul, and I think this is maybe the statement that he ended the book of Colossians with, and this is where we begin and multiply. He said, remember my chains. This is Colossians 4. I don't remember. It's the last verse in the book. The last two verses, remember my chains, I am bound to Christ. And my hope is in Christ. And may the grace of Christ find great rule among you. And I and I and I, I don't want to I don't want to leave that story. As we sit in the middle of some of the hardest places, are we a people who are willing to say, God, I am chained and bound to you, and the grace of Christ rules in me. I have found mercy in you and hope in you and forgiveness in you and holy God. I want to not just for me personally to be a part of something that is moving with great magnitude toward the greatest and the most hurting, but holy God, I want to be surrounded by a whole slew of people who are running hard after heaven together, but also looking for people around them who they can reconcile to yourself because eternity hangs in the balance. I, I, want, I want to be among a people who remember their chains that every one of us are sitting in this room and we are broken because of the grace of Christ and we are put back together because Colossians 1, continuing on, will tell us that all things in Him are held together through Him and by Him and so we're held together by Him. And that we in our brokenness and our, in our, in our great thanksgiving for His mercy and grace are just sitting around going, Oh God, thank you. And so I'm chained to you and somehow those chains that, that people think would bond me are actually freedom. I love, I love what he writes in Philippians. It says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the God, word of God more faithfully and aboundingly. Because I've actually been physically in prison, but more than that, because I'm a prisoner or a doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And the grace of Christ rules in my life. And so Paul just kind of writes to a church and says, I, you know, remember, remember Colossae is a church he's never been to in a place he's never seen, to a people he's never heard about, and he loves them anyway, it would really be like a whole bunch of people who gathered at 1 o'clock yesterday morning. And they're just waiting for Andrew to say, we love you, we care about you, we're, we want to come where you are, we want to be where you're about, we want to share with you this, we, we're chained. And we're in love with Jesus, the grace of Christ rules among us, and we're moving, we're moving. And, and he's looking at Colossae and says, and I know, I know, and, and listen, listen, I don't want to be offensive, but this is, what every, this is what every thinker in the church of Colossae says. They love their mysticism. He, listen, they love their traditions. They love what they had always done. And this, this church is only 60 years old, for heaven's sake. We got 2,000 years of what we've always done. They loved all that. And Paul says, look, look, I know you love all of that, but I'm asking, I'm just wondering if you love Jesus more and if you will willingly and aboundingly take the message of the grace of Christ out of your comfort zone and move into him being supreme. And he, and here's, here's the best part about the Bible. This is the best part about the book of Colossians is that he then doesn't go in and battle mysticism. He doesn't go in and battle, you know, their traditions. He doesn't go in and knock all that, although we will get a little bit in chapter two. He steps in the middle of them and he says these words, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is hope. You're an 
heir of Jesus. You have Christ. You have redemption. You have forgiveness. You live with hope. And when he finishes the whole thing, he just looks and says, and you are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ has found rule in your heart. So when Jesus rises and rises and rises and rises and rises and rises among you, and you start seeing people saved and rescued, you stop worrying about the things that you want that make you comfortable, and you care more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what he's saying to the church at Colossae. And he says, you know what? You've pushed him down. Allow him to rise among you. And he says, I mean, don't, don't you know? And this is really in the first verse that you're saints and faithful, that you're a haggis, you're set apart, you are holy, you were made right by God. That's who you are. Don't you know you are purposed here on this earth for the sake of his glory? Don't you know that because of his sovereignty, you cannot be shaken? You know that? When I think holy, he says to them, you are as a church, the holy and faithful people of God. That's who you are. I mean, you're set apart, and you're set apart to bring the presence of God to the people of God. That's why we gathered here. We didn't gather here to fill our tank. We didn't gather here to make it through another week. We gathered here because there is a birthing of Christ inside of us. It is moving through our hearts, and we simply can't wait, if we're being biblical about this, to sit down with a whole slew of believers to sing about the greatness of God, to worship the goodness of God, so that we can walk back out and carry the mercy of God into this world. That's that's why we get in the middle of this and say, God, move among us because we are holy and faithful. We bring the holiness of God and it moves out from among us. And I I, I love that. We we just said in our class and and some of you, I think holy, I think unspotted, pure, um, something that I'm utterly incapable of. And I I love this. We just sat Wednesday night in our um, journey class and today in my Bible study class and listened to a teaching out of 2 Corinthians 5 that just says, while we were in the middle of our sin, Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And here's why. So that we could become the righteousness of God. We could become a people who display the holy and wonder of God. We could be a people who just are going, Lord, just move among us because we are purposed here to be a representative for who you are. I don't have agenda with the next statement. I'm just reading through the Bible. I'm not coming behind this in the next three weeks with this is how it's going to be different. I'm just coming behind this saying God is speaking among us and he is calling us to slay our sense of of self-sufficiency and to look at him and say, God, in and through you, we are sufficient. In and through you, we, you will lead and guide. I, I was reading in Acts, the 10th chapter this week, just this incredible deal that God is doing. And, and I would kind of, if, if, if I were you, I would say, God, would you speak to us this way? It's, it's Peter. It's this great moment with Peter. And, and it's the story of Cornelius, if you're familiar with that story. It's a great encounter that they have where Peter and Cornelius just begin this conversation that's going on with God. It says of Cornelius, who's a, who's a Gentile, who is completely separated from the things of God, hypothetically, who is pursuing God with all of his heart, praying with all fervor. And all the while, Peter's over here. He is the leader of the New Testament church. He's the leader of the people and he's still kind of holding in this idea of this is what church is supposed to be like. This is who we're supposed to minister to. And primarily, and I, I, I want to be in fairness to this because I'm not, I, primarily his ministry is to the Jewish people. And I, I don't even think he's positive. Anybody else gets the grace of God at this point. 
And he's looking around, he's experiencing this deal, and then all of a sudden he's, he's, he's in this encounter with God, and the God has him fall into a trance, and food starts falling down, which will go very well with Colossians 2, and he's looking going, God, I don't eat that stuff, I'm not about that stuff, you know my heart, I am holy. And the Lord says, I love what he says about this, he says, don't call unholy what I call holy. And I'm preparing you for something that's powerful. And all the while, on the other side of the equation, Cornelius is praying like a crazy man. He wants to know this God. He longs to know this God. He is talking to this God. And he's actually heard about Peter. So he sends somebody over to get him. I mean, wouldn't this be so awesome, church, for people to look around and say, we've heard about the people at Mandarin. We've heard about you filling your name. I can't say every name. We've heard you walk with God. Please go get that guy because that guy, that girl, that lady, man, they can walk me through this journey. That's what Cornelius said. And so Peter could come to him and he's still pretty rattled by this whole thing. And God does this work among him because he gets together. I, I love the last verse. I've just got to read it. And I think maybe I'll, I'll just, I don't know. I don't, I think I'll just end here and just say, look, we should just think about this. We should just think about this. I love this verse. And so uh, they're invited in to be guests. They've cr- had this incredible joy. And, um, and I love as they just begin to talk to each other. It says, as Cornelius and Peter come together in, in chapter 10, verse 33, it says, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God. To hear all that you have been commanded by the heart of the Lord. I love this because he's just sitting and saying, Peter, Peter, Peter's the same guy. Get this. Peter's, this is the same guy who, who, who was on a boat just a few weeks prior, totally unsure about himself and put his foot on the bow of the boat and discovered his identity in Christ and discovered the hope of Christ. I mean, Peter is the guy who walked on water, but that's not the story I'm telling. It's the guy who's out fishing right after Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus says, throw it out on the other side. And then he looks and says, that's Jesus. And then he puts his foot on the bow of the boat. And as he dives in, he leaves any idea of self-sufficiency. He leaves any idea of how he defined himself in the past. He puts his foot on the bow of the boat and plunges into the waters of grace and finds himself in a conversation with God in Christ who who bore his sin and shame, who conversed with him about it, who brought the righteousness and forgiveness of God to him, who spoke that into his life, who he gained all the righteousness of God in Christ in that moment, and he is fully and completely in Christ. His identity mattered in that moment, and he stood up and walked out and led the church. All the way into this Acts 10 moment. Your identity, by the way, matters in this moment. And it's not what you think of yourself. It's that you are defined by Christ, that you have sat with Christ and said, God, I love you. And out of that identity, he has a chance to sit in a moment and say, oh, God, what are you going to do in the middle of your church? What are you going to do? I mean, this is a tectonic shift for Peter. This is an eternal shift because he sits with Cornelius a Gentile, unclean in his mind, and his whole family, and it just gets potent. You can read the entirety of Acts 10 yourself. Because he begins to talk with them, and I love this. This will shake up Baptists a little bit. But the Spirit of God falls in the middle of them. He began, They begin to speak in, in foreign tongues all around them. He's looking and going, I didn't even know that God could come to these people. He is clearly not just coming to them. He's coming to them in spirit and power. Some of you are sitting and going, I didn't know God even cared about prostitutes, much less at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not even awake then. 
And I think he's just looking and saying, I had no idea the shift that would happen. And in the next moment, the church, the church just exploded. And it caused all kinds of problems and issues. It got super messy. I mean, you'll love it that they were clearly Baptist after this moment because they called councils together to converse about, I mean, probably committees. We've got to talk about this. Can these people really know Jesus? And he rolls back into Colossae and says, oh, no, no, you don't understand, Colossae. You don't understand, church. In Jesus, there is redemption. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. In Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus, there is promise. In Jesus, there is inheritance. In Jesus, there is absolute passion. In Jesus, that which bore sin against you, that which was declared as unrighteous before you, as you came to embrace the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ, you were declared righteous, wiped clean by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's sitting in this deal saying, Oh my goodness, God is just blowing up his church. And I would just suggest to you after Acts, the 10th chapter of the church was never the same again. I mean, it just goes on and starts talking. It says Gentiles began to speak of the things of God all over the place. Missionaries began to go. Paul, Paul got his great task, became the, the, the pastor to the Gentiles. I mean, it was just crazy. And I think the thing that I would love to sit around and talk about as a church, the thing I would love to have dominate our conversations on Sunday mornings, the thing every believer in this church needs to stop and, and, and maybe stop and ponder is, are we willing to say to things, God, I long and hope to be a part of a church that believes that we are a truly a redemptive community. God, I long to be a part of a church that believes that the cross of Jesus Christ was sufficient for everyone. God, I long to be a part of the church where I set aside, and they believe me, listen, Peter, Peter was going with generations of traditions, and he's looking and saying, God, in a single moment, I will slay all sense of self-sufficiency, and I will look at you and what you were doing at work. I will look at the hand of your work, and I am moving with you. And, and I'm, I promise that is just not true of the church at Colossae, and I'll let you decide if that's true of us. If we're really willing to sit in and say, God, as, as you move, I'm with you. As you go, I'm with you. And here's where Henry Blackaby says it well in most churches off-ramp, and this is why it's a little skittish for all of you, because to know God and hear Him speak requires the Bible prayer circumstances in the church. It requires us moving into agreement with Him, but here's the part that nobody likes and most people off-ramp, and most of you already have. You're already off-ramped with me right now because you think I've got some deal coming the next four weeks. Four ways to do church differently. It's not coming. I just wonder if we would be willing if the Lord speaks to make major adjustments for the sake of the kingdom. I, I, don't, I don't know what comes behind that. It's just people being able to pray and say, Jesus, move among us in such profound ways that your glory is made known. Because I love what Blackaby says, and I believe it's true. Most everyone likes the idea of God. They just don't want to make any adjustments for him. We, we really don't. If, I mean, if we got to the bottom of life, most of us cut us and said, look, we really don't want to throw parties for anyone not clean like us. We really like the way we do this. And we like that we're comfortable. And I think Jesus writes to the church at Colossae and he writes to us and he writes in their hearts, you are an heir of the light of Christ. You are a purpose person who has been given hope. You have been redeemed and you have been forgiven. 
And I love what we talked last week. And because of that, you willingly and gladly run into the hardest places on this planet for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And I'm good with no amens going right now. And I'm good with us stopping and saying, God, really, I, I, I want to get the sentence right because I love the sentence and maybe I should end with the sentence. The end of the sentence is just, Jesus runs into the chaos of life. And in his running in, he brings redemption, rescue, resurrection, hope, and life. I wonder if we'll run as well. It's good for the day. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Christ, for your mercy. Thank you for the fact that we are joint heirs with you, Jesus. God, I would pray that one thing would rise up within us um, that would allow us, and that's it's not a, God, what are we going to do differently? Jesus, I pray that what would rise up in this moment would be the blood and the body of Jesus Christ shed for us. God, I pray that we would boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ, for in the cross of Jesus Christ, the world dies to us and we die to the world. God, I pray that we would gladly find sufficiency and hope in your forgiveness and your freedom. And God, I pray that there would be a brokenness that would move across this church, a brokenness of of what we value more than you. And God, a, a brokenness for our own pride so that, God, with humble and contrite hearts, we can come to you and move and live and be as you see fit. And God, as you come to speak to us as you did in Peter in dreams, as you come and speak to other people who desperately need hope, God, that you would use us to converge together. And as Acts 10 says, it would be so evident that the presence of God was among us. So God, we just come with humble hearts. We come with broken spirits. And we come to the one who makes us whole. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we live and move and have our being. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to sing a little bit because that's what we do at this moment. And I think we're singing a song that talks about rescue. You have no capacity to save yourselves, which is the first words of this song. Who could heal you? No one but Christ. And so we just really want to rest in the rescue of God. Some of you in this fellowship are just needing to come to an altar and say, God, I don't know about this whole thing of hurting people, but I want to be in on where you're at. I want to meet the Marys of this world. I want to meet the Zacchaeus of this world, the Matthews of this world, all the disciples. I want to speak greatly of the grace of Christ into their hearts and lives. So some of us just need to simply build an altar, whether it's where you are or at this front, to say, God, allow this to be a place of redemption and forgiveness. I know um, I know one couple coming to identify with this church this morning. I think there's probably others. If God's been prompting you to make this your home, come and join with us. We're just going to lock arms and make much of Jesus. Whatever decision you need to make, I invite you. This is a great moment to just spend with the Lord. Um, Colonel Dan will be here. Ryan will be at the front. I'll be here as well. Uh, Let's stand together. Let's worship together. Let's respond together. Let's share this moment together. Thank you.